Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to the New Testament letter of Colossians. As you're going there, I neglected to say this in the first um, service, the title of the message is The Well-Dressed Christian. Well, the well-dressed Christian. I love Colossians. Colossians is, you know, the Bible's the Bible, everything in the Bible, you know, you love. But, you know, I think we all have our favorite parts. Colossians, for me, is, uh, is, is, is mine, and so I'm, I'm thankful that God works the way he works, and it, it shows in this passage with all the events, all the things that go on in the church and have gone on and, and, and this time of year and, and helping with these things and those things, and, and, and just love it. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12. This is what the word of the Lord says. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. As we've come to the throne room to worship you in music, in fellowship, in giving of our tithes, in offerings, in giving, in the hearing of the word. And Father, is the preaching of the word. Father, may we be transformed here this morning. My prayer is, whether it's Christian or unchristian, Father, I pray we would leave here transformed. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 200 years ago, America's oldest clothing brand, Brooks Brothers, was established specializing in men's clothing. It was founded in 1818 by Henry Sands Brooks, and his vision was to make and deal only in merchandise of the finest body. Over that company's 200-year period, Brooks Brothers has been a leading innovator in fashion trends. One particular innovation is they were the first to produce ready-to-wear men's clothing. As as their company has has grown, they also have invented the collared button-down polo shirt, and even expanded their brand into women's clothing. Brooks Brothers has made its mark on American fashion, becoming the de facto menswear for celebrities, Wall Street executives, and 40 U.S. presidents. Throughout history, fashion has greatly impacted societies, not just here in America, but all over the world. 
the McKinsey and Company, they're a management firm that studies global trends. They estimated with their global fashion index that the fashion industry has grown to a $2.5 trillion market. If you compare the fashion industry with countries' gross domestic product, the fashion industry would rank as the seventh highest ranking economy in the entire world. Here in America, we're no stranger to fashion our ourselves. Now, I don't have Brooks Brother clothing up here. Uh, I was asking my mother uh, Friday when uh, we, we went down, I took the kids down and we went to see a live nativity scene down at the church in Warner Robins, and I was asking her mom, you know, you know, growing up, you know, me, my two sisters, and my brother, um, you know, I don't remember having name brand clothing. And even to this day, I have probably very little name brand clothing. But I asked her, you know, how much do you spend, you know, how much did you spend on clothing for, you know, for the family? And I won't give you the statistic, but her and God must have had a plan when he brought Laura into my life because my mom and Laura both have the same idea when it comes to budgeting. They are very much tightwads, you know, they very much, you know, but statistically, uh, in the United States, the fashion industry is a $200 billion industry. The average American buys $121 worth of clothing per month, or $1,700 per year, and I'm not going to put you on the spot or call you up here for a testimony on the amount of money you spend per month or how much value is in your closet. But fashion is, very, uh, is a very big, big uh, market, not just in our country, but in our world. And yet in our text this morning, what we see here is Paul gives us a picture of clothing. He gives us a picture of what it means to be clothed in the garments of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you just a brief Brief little background about the letter of Colossians so that, that give you some context of what we're going to talk about and how it fits uh, into this passage. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, as, as we know. This particular letter, in addition to Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon, are known as the prison epistles because Paul was imprisoned in Rome when he penned these particular letters. And uh, the city of Colossae is, a, is one of the churches that most likely was founded as an outgrowth of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Now, the region that we're talking about is a region called, a what was called Asia Minor. Today, it's modern-day Turkey. And so, uh, this particular area was a cultural thriving center. Very, very big cultural thriving center. But they had a lot of false teachings, false beliefs going around. And also they were a, a city of gross immorality. And so within that context is what Paul is writing to these Christians. Because many of the, of the people here, the believers here, they're becoming susceptible, like in many of Paul's other letters, they're becoming a little susceptible to false teachings, you know, to legalism. And, 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 and other ways to salvation. And so what Paul does in Colossians, like he does in many of his letters, is he, he takes the, the, the first part of the letter, 
He explains the theology. He explains this is what Christ has done in our lives. And then usually in the last part of the, of the letter is when he'll give some application. Colossians is no different. The first two chapters are pretty much theological based. And then the last two chapters are how it plays out in our particular life. The theme of the letter, the theme of Colossians, rests on Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And Paul particularly is focusing on the supremacy of Christ. That Christ is the risen Savior, that he is the only way to salvation. I think if Paul was to, was to write a letter to the American church today, I think there would be a lot of similarities in what we see because the church in America is becoming very synchronistic, I believe. You know, there are a lot of people who believe that they're downplaying the deity, the authority, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and that there are other ways, you know, to heaven. That Jesus was just a, he was a good man, a good prophet, good teachings, but is he really the only way? I'm here to emphatically state, as, as, as most of you probably believe, and I'm thankful from the, the pulpit that Pastor Randy preaches every week, Jesus Christ is the supreme authority. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And that's what Paul is reaffirming here in this particular, particular passage. And so beginning in chapter 3, as Paul begins to lay out some of the, uh, some of the application for us, the, the main thing that Paul is telling us is that, okay, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Savior, that he is the supreme sovereign authority, he's the risen Savior, this is how your life will play out. First, he basically explains that in the first half of chapter 3 is that if you believe this, the old man is now gone. You have taken that old man, you have taken the old man off, the old garment, the old clothing of sin and shame and guilt. And because Christ has come and changed you, you have now put on the new man, the new garment. You are now in the fullness of Jesus Christ. I was doing some, some you know, studying this week, and in, in, in one particular point I wanted to, to make, in early in the, in the chapter, Paul talks about the fullness of Christ. In the Greek, it's known as pleroma. Pleroma. Jesus is the fullness. He's the full expression of God. He is God incarnate. He is fully God, and yet he is fully man. That's, that's why Pastor Randy it ties in so well. When he, he started about two and a half years ago preaching through the gospel of John, he, he, John lays out, Jesus is the Son of Man. He's the Messiah. This is why we believe this. And then when Rand, Pastor Randy went through Genesis, going back, this is how it all started to, to, and played out. So if you connect Genesis 1, 1 with John 1, 1, they line up very much to show us that Jesus is the fullness of God and he is the incarnate uh, man that has come to save us. And that's what we sing and, and remember here during the Christmas time. So as we come to our text this morning, the, the central idea, the main idea of the text that we're looking at beginning in verse 12 is that if these things have happened, if you have believed and trusted in Christ, you have put on the new man, this, then this is how you are to live. As Christians, this is how you will live. You will be the expression of Jesus Christ in, in the world. And so for us today, that's the message. That's the big idea that I want to leave you with this morning 
is that you have been transformed by Jesus Christ. If you believe you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you believe he has transformed you. And because he has transformed you, these are, what, these are things that you will exhibit. Not out of legalism. You will exhibit them because Christ is, the, the fullness of Jesus Christ is being poured out in you and through you on a day-to-day basis. Billy Graham said this of the Christian life. He said, Christians are to be the light of the world, illuminating the darkness caused by sin and giving guidance to a world that has lost its way. So as we go through the passage, there's three truths that I want you to see this morning. The first truth is this. The well-dressed Christian is transformed on the outside. The, 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 transformed, the, the well-dressed Christian is transformed on the outside. Look with me in verses 12 and 13. Paul wrote, Therefore, and I grew up, you know, when you saw a therefore, it's there for a reason. So when it's therefore, you, you kind of look back to see, okay, what's he talking about? And so because you put off the old man and you become the new man, therefore, this is what has happened and, and will happen to you. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Because we have been transformed by Jesus Christ. Paul is talking here to believers now. He's laid out the theology, but here he's talking to the believers. So, so if you're a believer, he's, he's, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. And so he's saying, as God's chosen ones, literally in the Greek it means elect, as God's elect, as God's chosen ones, put on the new man, and this is what the garment, this is what the outward expression of what Christ has done in you should look like. So I want to take a few minutes and walk through some of the, these virtues that he's talking about. And Paul's not laying out a list of virtues just for us to, to live, you know, say we live a good life and, and those things. He's saying these things will be exhibited in you and through you. Not because Daniel Wright can be kind. Not because Daniel Wright can forgive. Not because Daniel Wright can be patient when his four-year-old son Joshua, you know a four-year-old Joshua, many of you, all right? Fill in the blanks, all right? I can, I can be patient. I can be kind. I can forgive because Christ is pouring himself out in me and through me. So look at the, the, the virtues here that he gives us. Paul identifies five of these virtues, but the key word here, and this, this is what's so good about studying, you know, in seminary and studying the Greek, you see how these things come to fruition. The word I want you to, to hone in on is right here in verse 12, where after Paul says, God's chosen ones, holding your love, put on, put on. Literally in the Greek, that word means enduo, enduo, putting on. Many animals have an endoskeleton that they, that they have to cover them on the, on the outside for protection. Paul is basically using this picture of you put on. You put on 
the garment of Christ. Because you've been transformed, you're putting on, you're literally clothing yourself on the outside in these particular characteristics. That word put on is an imperative verb. It's a command. We're commanded to do this. It happened when you were transformed. You put it on. And so going through these virtues, I hope it, I hope it kind of clicks with you. Back in Galatians, I won't read it, but if you're taking down notes or anything, back in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, you know, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, you know, all those, all those fruits of the Spirit. These right here, essentially, you see the fruits of the Spirit that are being, being displayed. So it's not me that's able to be these things. It's Christ in me and through me that is doing those things. But let's look at these, um, these characteristics um, a little bit. <clears throat> First of all, look at compassion. Compassion. Literally, that word compassion means that it's down deep in the bowels of your being. Okay? You know, a lot of us, we, you know, we show compassion when a loved one passes or, you know, we may even show compassion uh, towards children and stuff like that. But the compassion that Paul is talking about here is a similar type of compassion that Jesus had when he would look out to the crowds and he had compassion on the people. It is down deep in our inner being, deep in our bowels of our inner being. It's a heart felt compassion and mercy that Paul is describing here. Kindness, kindness. Kindness is, is, is like the, the, the verb expression of showing compassion. Because I, I have compassion deep down in my inner being and in my soul, I can be kind. I can show kindness, not just to Christians, not just to loved ones, but to non-Christians and even maybe people that uh, insult me or, 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 or persecute me, whatever the case may be, all right? Kindness, it's, it's, that, it's that expression of that heartfelt compassion. Humility, look with me in Philippians. If you want to turn there, Philippians chapter 2, humility. So notice what Paul's doing here. Paul's going a little bit deeper. He's going a little bit deeper in these expressions of, 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 of what takes place on the outside. In Philippians chapter 2, when Paul, Paul is explaining the humility of Jesus Christ, the, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, he, he writes the, these words. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And so the ultimate expression here at Christmas time, we're remembering and celebrating Christ's birth. How much more humble can you be than to come and be born and to be in a, and to be in a feeding trough? How much, more humble can, how much more humble can it be to not only die a death on the cross, but die? But, but, Crucifixion was a shameful death, and yet he took on that humility. And so we're to show that. We can show humility through acts of servanthood, through acts of, of, of servanthood in our community, through our local church, 
And so we're to display that attribute of, of Christ. Gentleness. Gentleness, again, is, is like, <coughs> excuse me, is like humility being played out. The expression of humility. Many of you probably followed this week the, uh, the state funeral of, of former President George H.W. Bush. Now, I'm probably the young whippersnapper in this room. Many of you, you know, you, you've lived through a lot longer than I have. So, you know, for me, you know, I was born in the early 80s. You know, I can remember, you know, through just historical stuff as a teacher, Ronald Reagan. But really, to me, George H.W. Bush, kind of the first president I, I really came to follow or, 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 or know. But one of the common themes, and, and many of you, you probably, you know, you've lived through George Bush, um, and, and, you know, well-experienced, well you know, well-experienced, probably one of the most qualified people ever to be president of the United States. But one of the common themes that was played out through all of his, the, the state funeral, was how kind and gentle and humble of a man he was. Not saying he was perfect, okay? Not saying he was perfect, but the expression of kindness and gentleness that he showed, where did that come from? Because he of a deep abiding faith in Jesus Christ. And so gentleness and patience. Patience is the long-suffering. It's the, the, I like the word long-burning. It's the same type of patience that God showed the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament when they constantly would rebel against God and, 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 and God would, would, would chastise them, punish them, but he always showed grace and mercy to them. And then even in, in the New Testament, Jesus revealed himself and then goes to the cross and think about in your own personal life how long it maybe takes, took some of you before you came to believe in faith in Jesus Christ. The patience and the long burning for, uh, you know, for you that God has shown and that, that through his son Jesus Christ has shown. That's why we talk about, you know, in the men's ministry, we haven't been, been perfect, but the idea, the, the vision is that no man has to walk alone because discipleship, discipleship is about patience. You know, think about people that you know that are not Christians. Think about people in your family that you prayed for over. Right? You're patient with them. You're showing a patience with them. Discipleship takes patience, takes time, but it takes love. And so we see these things played out. But then Paul goes a little bit further in verse 13. He tells us, okay, how can we do the, how can we be these things? How can we be patient, be kind, be gentle, be humble? Okay? Verse 13, he picks up and he says uh, these words right here. Excuse me. I'm going to pull back. Here we go. He uh, says, verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Notice those two virtues there that are now participles. They're verbal adjectives. The previous list I told you were nouns. This is what you should be. Here is what you do. You do these things. Why can we be patient and be kind and be gentle? Because I bear my burdens with one another. Because I'm able to forgive. Why? Because Jesus Christ has forgiven me and has bared his soul out for me. And so what Paul shows us here 
is that we have been transformed on the outside. We have put on a garment of kindness and gentleness and forgiveness, bearing with each other and, 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 and being patient with one another. So not only are we transformed on the outside, but notice the second truth I want you to see. The well-dressed Christian is transformed on the inside. So think about, think about when you, you, know, you bought that new, new, new coat, or women, you buy that new pair of shoes or new dress. Yeah, you feel good and look good on the outside. But it, in a sense, it kind of changes a little bit of your perspective on the inside, right? Am I not mistaken? You, you feel better about yourself on the inside because you look better, look good on the outside in that new outfit, that new jacket, that new clothing. That's what Paul is expressing here. Paul is expressing that I've been transformed on the inside. How have we been transformed on the inside? Look with me in verses 14 and 15. He says, above all. Notice that keyword. After he's explained some virtues, he says, above all. Above all, put on, clothe yourself in love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You see, our culture has a very, very mixed up, even disturbed view of what love truly is. The Bible points to different examples, different expressions of love as well. The first type of love is a phileo type of love, a phileo type of love. It's a type of love that is compassionate. It's a companionship type of love, but it's basically a love that's dictated by my feelings. How you respond to me is how I will respond to you. It's a phileo type of love. It's a reactionary type of love. The love Paul is talking about right here in this particular passage is what we call an agape type of love. It is a love that is unconditional. It is a love that's not kindled by your worth or by your merit. It, it, it originates in the character and the nature of God himself, of Jesus Christ, that Jesus displayed that agape love by going on the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's an agape type of love that he is talking about here. So we're transformed on the inside by the love of Christ that is being poured out in us. But notice, notice a second part. 15, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts. I coached for 15 years. Went to Georgia Southern to play baseball and figured out that that wasn't a good plan. So I immediately, as a 19-year-old, started coaching at a Georgia Southern at, a, at Statesboro High School. 19-year-old. Telling 18-year-olds what to do. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> All right. But the, 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 the idea is that, you know, probably get the impression I can be a little animated, a little fired up. When I was a coach, I was, I, yeah, I was, okay? I was blessed in the fact that I, I had a great, I had great coaches, not who just were, were great coaches, win-loss record, but were men of God. I can tell you, I could not remember a time I heard Conrad Nick say a cuss word on a football field at practice or a game, and he was as fiery as I could ever imagine. Never one time, right? But 
Oftentimes when, uh, and probably many of you experience this, you know, last Saturday, you know, last Saturday night, football games and stuff, you know, referees, you know, I've always had my clash with referees and umpires. Then I actually, one time, I umpired before, and so I remember, I kind of got the feeling of what an umpire goes through, all right? But the thought here of this word rule, when he's talking about the peace of Christ rules within us, is like that of an umpire. It's like a referee. What's their job is, you know, whether they do a good job or not, their job is to rule, administer, govern the game. Here, peace rules within me. What kind of peace? The peace of Christ rules in me and through me. And then he concludes that thought by saying, be thankful. Be thankful. Are you thankful today? Paul says you can be thankful. Even if others don't appreciate you, you can be thankful in all the things that you do. And then notice the third characteristic of this inward change. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and singing. We'll get to that part in a second. But the word of God changes us. It dwells in us. That word dwelling takes on the, the connotation that, it, that it, it, it is of a house. I'm a house and the, the word of God dwells inside of me. See, I'm so thankful and aren't you so thankful that we can come to a church and you can hear the truth. We have a pastor that stands on the truth of God in a time period today where it's really not that popular and in some areas get, can get you arrested these days. Times are changing, as they say. But Pastor Randy comes to the pulpit and preaches the word of God. We're transformed by the word of God that dwells richly within us. And so what Paul expresses to us is that we are transformed on the outside, and these characteristics show within us, but we're also transformed on the inside. And it's that inside transformation that leads to those outward expressions of gentleness, kindness, forgiving, and all those things that, that we've talked about. And so finally, the third truth, we've been transformed on the outside. We've been transformed on the inside. Notice what Paul says here. The, the well-dressed Christian celebrates his transformation. The well-dressed Christian celebrates his transformation. Look with me in the end of verse number 15. After Paul, or 16, excuse me, after Paul talks about the word and how the word changes us. He says right here, in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. See, we, we come to the throne room of God singing and worshiping Him. Aren't you so thankful that we have a worship leader that can lead us and to do that? I, I was, I, I was, it, sometimes it, I grew up in a traditional church. I grew up in a traditional church. Love the hymns. All right, love them. I love the Psalms. I love Chris Tomlin and, and, and Hillsong. Aren't you think we can come to the throne room of God and worship, not on our, on, our, on our worship preferences, but the fact that I get to praise and worship Christ Almighty through the singing of Psalms, through the hymns of Amazing Grace, 
and through Chris Tomlin singing Nobody Loves Me Like Jesus. I can come to the worship. You see, we have a great worship leader. We have great instrumentalists. We have great choir. We have great musicians. But they can't bring me to the worship of God. Only the Holy Spirit in me and through me can bring me to the ultimate worship of God. God uses them to help stir my soul to worship. But only the Holy Spirit can bring me to the worship of God. So I implore you, I urge you, I encourage you, stand and sing. Raise your hands. Come and sing. That is what the worship is all about. John Piper said this about worship. He said, worship is what we were created for. All of history is moving toward one great goal. The white hot worship of God and his son among the peoples of the earth. That's why we come to worship. To worship Christ. He is the ultimate. He is the reason and the object of my worship. But not only do we celebrate our transformation through the singing of worshiping God, we celebrate our transformation through the deeds and the acts that, that we do. Paul says in verse 17, I know all of you have probably a favorite verse. This is my favorite verse in all of Scripture. At whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, our worship is not limited to what we do inside the four walls of the church. Our worship can be a celebration of what we do on the outside in our jobs. When we go to work every day, when I'm at my home, when I'm cooking a meal, when I bring a cold cup of water to somebody, my worship is not limited to the, to the walls of the church. I can serve my community and serve my fellow brother in everything that I do. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, no work is insignificant. All labor that uplifts humanity has dignity and importance and should be undertaken with painstaking excellence. The people of the New Testament said, we do this in the name of the Lord. Peter and John went to the temple one day and a beggar was lame and needed help and they asked for money and Peter and John said, I can't give you money, but I can give you healing in the name of Jesus Christ. Everything we do is in the name of Jesus Christ. I was telling Pastor Randy here, watching Pastor Logan up here, the way he can, to see the passion that he has, just in everything he does. Don't you love to be around positive people, passionate people, infectious people? I'd walk to school, and you know, some people at school, some coworkers, you know those coworkers, all right? Negative nannies. Walking down the hallway. If it wasn't for the lockers on one side of the hall, I'd be able to be in an, on that side of the hall just to get away from them so that their stench of negativity won't be on me. Right? We come in everything that you do, we do it in the name of the Lord. And so Paul concludes by saying we can give thanks. We give thanks. Twice he said give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. So how does this play out? In our life. I mean, how can you be patient when you got four toddlers in the house and they just drive you up a wall when you got home from work? How can you be patient with a congregation 
that sometimes comes to worship wanting their own preference. A little bit of a silence there. How can we be gentle and kind to people that aren't gentle and kind to us? How can we do that? How can we, how can we live and do that? We do it because Christ lives in us and through us. I can't be patient. I can't be kind. I can't be gentle. I can't forgive. I can't bear one another's burdens. But Christ living in me and through me can allow me to be patient, be kind, be gentle, and to forgive. And I am thankful for it. So Paul says, to telling these Colossian Christians, you can do these things through Christ. Here today, we can do it through Christ because when we realize our new birth in Jesus, when we realize that we have taken off the clothing of the old man and put on the garment of the new, it is Christ living in me and through me. See, we're going to sing a song of invitation here in just a few minutes. Fanny Crosby, great, great poet, great, uh, wrote thousands of hymns, not just popular here in the Baptist tradition, but popular throughout all denominations. Fanny Crosby, two months after she was born, got seriously ill. And the family doctor that normally would treat her was out of town. And so uh, another supposed doctor Got a man disguising as a doctor, really, we could call him a, a quack, came and said he could, you know, heal her, you know, give her remedy, medication. He used a hot mustard type remedy on her eyes to heal her, her illness. Well, she healed from her illness, but it wasn't because of the hot mustard remedy. The hot mustard remedy left her permanently blind, beginning at two months old. And yet, she would go on and write thousands, thousands of stanzas, poems, celebrating the God, the Christ that was in her, her life. You see, Fanny Crosby, Fanny Crosby lived that particular life. One well-meaning Christian or preacher said these words to her. I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. Now that wasn't the first time Fanny Crosby had heard a well-meaning you know, statement like that. And, and you know, it's just a well-meaning statement. We, we say it all the time. Listen to Fanny Crosby's words of response. She said this. She said that, do you know that if at birth, I had been able to make one petition. It would have been that I was it would have it would have been that I was born blind. She would have chosen to be born blind. Why? Because when I get to heaven, the very first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my savior. What a testimony. What a testimony. And she lived a life Everything she did, her passion, her gift that God gave her was to write some of the tremendous lyrics and, and hymns of the church while she was blind. And God used her mightily to do that. You see, 
what, what Paul is telling us today and what we can learn from, from this text today is that our focus is not on just putting on a garment, putting on a clothing, acting kind and acting gentle and acting patience and forgiving somebody, you know, here and there. The message of the sermon, the message is this, is that we are transformed by Jesus Christ, by his power. We are transformed. And we can live that out every day. You see, you can pen poetry for Christ. You can coach high school athletics for Christ. You can teach for Christ. You can be a doctor for Christ. You can be a janitor for Christ. You can serve the church for Christ. You can go out in the community and serve for Jesus Christ. You can be a foster family for Jesus Christ. You can show up tonight and celebrate with foster families for Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you can repent of your sin, you can believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He will transform your life. He will give you a purpose for your life. He will change you, he will use you, and he will lift you up and raise you up. See, Fanny Crosby, in the hymn that we're going to sing, she basically brought people to the altar. In the, in the song, He Hideth My Soul in Thee, she had these words to say. She concluded that song with, When clothed with his brightness, transported I rise to meet him in the clouds of the sky, his perfect salvation, his wonderful love, I'll shout with millions on high. Jesus Christ can change your life. If you are a Christian, he has changed your life. I encourage you today to live that out to others who need to see that example. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, the messenger is weak. But oh, Oh, how the message is so strong and life-changing. Father, I pray that the gospel of good news will penetrate our hearts this morning. For those who are Christians, but they're struggling, Father. They're struggling in their marriage. They're struggling with rebellious children. Maybe a financial debt has crushed them. But I pray, Father, that they can know there's a loving God that loves them, that they will feel your loving arms and presence around them this morning. Father, it's not easy to love. It's not easy to be kind. It's not easy to forgive or to, or to express gentleness. But Father, you have shown us the way. You have come and you have transformed us. And I pray that if anybody here today has not experienced that transformation, during this time, Father, poke them, prod them, and move them by your Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Logan is going to lead us in the hymn of invitation. He hideth my soul. And you can come. You can come to the altar and pray for that family member or loved one, co-worker. While we stay in the scene, you can stand at your seat and you can pray. But whatever God is, is laying on your heart, I pray you would respond. Now is your time to 
respond. Let's stand.